as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Impressive growth at the DHR Health campus. And let's catch up to speed on all the brick and mortar left and right taking place. Plus, the big announcement recently on Texas A&M and DHR Health. They're partnering and providing a new residency program for some young doctors. The CEO of DHR Health, Dr. Manish Singh, joining us right now. Thank you, Doc, for joining us on KURV. I wanted to ask you about this fledgling residency program with Texas A&M. How do you see it developing on campus? If you had the, the final say on where to put these young doctors, how would they help us on on campus at DHR Health? What type of, of specialties would they be working on that we need most? Well, uh, well, good morning to everybody and to your listeners, Sergio, and thank you for having me on yes, your sir. show. Um, it, uh, it's indeed a big pleasure for DHR Health and personally for me to be part of this big announcement of uh, having bringing down one of the eminent universities down in the valley for education, especially for the physician education. Um, we know, uh, and you, uh, you know, this uh, our area, the whole Rio Grande Valley, is uh, based, is a big uh, epitome of the healthcare equity gaps as if you compare to the rest of the countries. Uh, our people down here have uh, uh, low social uh, belong to low socioeconomic strata, and they have access poor access to the quality healthcare, and they all have to either drive to Houston or San Antonio. The purpose of getting the graduate medical education down in the valley uh, the, uh, was the vision of DHR to bring this quality medical students who are great physicians of the future. And stat- statistics have shown that 65 to 70 percent of them stay back where they train. Uh, bringing Texas A&M and DHR Health residency programs down here in the valley and placing them in in campus. And now you know DHR has extended to Brownsville and of course has been yeah. affiliate of Star County for some time. Placing them there where they actually go and interact with our people and actually understand what the needs are. These people will stay back and these quality physicians imagine from all over the country who don't even know what Rio Grande Valley is are going to stay here, practice, bring their family down, and serve the community. And for Dr. Manesh Singh is CEO of DHR Health. Again, big news item a few days back. Yes, was the, it is. A big news item was Texas A&M and DHR Health with a residency program. And as you mentioned, yes, the Brownsville campus for DHR Health. What, what can you tell us? Where, uh, where are we at right now in the development of that Brownsville campus for DHR Health? Oh, sir, here, uh, last Monday... Uh, DHR Health Brownsville opened. Uh, it was a soft opening. We have uh, started to make sure that all our facilities we have pro- provide are working, which we are. The ER is open. Today will be the third day of uh, surgeries being performed there. And actually, I myself is personally going there to uh, observe that. Uh, and um, slowly, slowly, but surely, we are making sure that everything is working well. And soon we'll have a big opening in a few weeks. But 
DHR Health Brownsville is open and is ready to serve the community of Cameron County. How big is that campus, Doc? Can you describe it? Uh, it is uh, uh, close to 50 to 60 bedded hospital. It has uh, uh, right now there are six operating rooms, a small emergency room with radiology and all the purposes uh, for an uh, to be uh, serving as an acute care hospital. The biggest advantage of having that hospital in Brownsville is the DHR Health, uh, uh, the name and the powerhouse what it is as far as the healthcare is concerned, because we are bringing down specialties and sub specialties uh, to that campus. We have uh, already have the clinics for the uh, for those specialists in which can which include uh, endocrine surgery, urology, neurology, uh, myself, bariatric surgeries right there, and they will start seeing the patients, serving the community, and start operating. All right, is it fully staffed? You got everybody you need at the Brownsville campus? Yes. Okay. Yes. They're fully staffed, and we are open. Dr. Manesh Singh, CEO, of DHR Health. Let me segue to. Uh, a partnership that you've developed, that, which is reaching to the sky. You got that eight-story tower at the DHR campus in Edinburgh with with Driscoll Children's status report. What's the latest on that? When do they go? Uh, when do they open up for business? So the construction is in full swing. Uh, it's on time. Uh, uh, hopefully, it will be done in next few months. Then Driscoll Children, uh, they have their, their own set of standards and the way the hospital should uh, operate. So they will take some months for to make it fully functional. Uh, last I heard that it will be open in the last quarter of this year. Most of what we suffer in South Texas, many times the root cause is diabetes and you know, type 2 diabetes, lifestyle as well. Do you see much of what DHR and Texas A&M will be focusing on will be centered around all the organs affected by diabetes, all, all the ailments that come as a result of that? Yes. Uh, so part of this affiliation is no, uh, grand, uh, the graduate medical education and residencies, but other part is uh, getting together uh, into getting great grants for uh, research. We are going to collaborate in the research, and hopefully there will be a big research facility for Texas A&M DHR Health. Okay. Um, and their focus will be for the diseases that are down here, and you are absolutely right. Obesity, diabetes, fatty liver disease. And any everything related to that, including the kidney disease uh, and kidney failures, you know how many of our uh, people in the community are on dialysis or on kidney failure because of these diseases. And we will be focusing on research and taking getting the best cure down here. Dr. Manesh Singh, DHR CEO, joining us. Again, the big story was DHR Health and Texas A&M Health. They're partnering for a residency program, which will start Mas or menos, Doc, when do you think we will see some of these young doctors down here? What do you think? Uh, July 1st. Already? You're bringing them down here? Okay, yes. pretty good. Uh, I need to ask you about clinical research because there's so much news coming out of the DHR campus. You want to shine a light on, on some of the more interesting clinical research you got going on at the campus? So, yes. So right now we have be, uh, all, a lot of research related to COVID still running. Uh, we have uh, a big breast uh, uh, research going on with UCS of San Francisco, University of California, San Francisco, for breast cancer uh, being done here. We have a lot of research regarding fatty liver being done at our liver institute, and we are bringing down uh, great research about immunotherapy, not just chemotherapy, immunotherapy of various cancers, especially Excellent. colon cancer Excellent. at our cancer institute. Excellent, yeah. And do you have like a central line where... If some folks would like to participate in some of these um, 
pharmaceutical experiments or, or other clinical research. There's so much taking place right now. I know it's, you just barely touched on a few that are um, that are spinning right now on campus. Uh, yes, uh, we have a, a non-for-profit uh, DHR Health Research Institute, and um, uh, the phone number I you can call the direct number to the DHR Health. And ask for they the can direct you. Yeah. Ask for the yes. All right. Thank you, Dr. Singh. We'll talk to you again, get an update here in the near future. Appreciate your time. Dr. Manish Singh is CEO of DHR Health. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. A few days ago, our county judge, Richard Cortez, brought together some local leadership, folks from the medical community as well, mental health community, and asked that we put together this coalition to address mental health issues mental health awareness for our kids post-pandemic and one of the leaders Roxanne Ramirez is the executive director with the Hope Family Clinic here in South Texas come up to the microphone friend appreciate your time today Good so morning. tell me a bit about this coalition the uh, the folks that have been brought together by the county judge to address this issue and you know how bad is it obviously if we're bringing a whole bunch of folks together and I've heard this before from folks in mental health we have a an issue when it comes to mental health in our kids post pandemic yeah absolutely now the pandemic is with with our children with mm-hmm. with our individuals so um, you're absolutely right I'm blessed to be the executive director of Hope Family Health Center and the mental health coalition is actually something that is not new we've been working on this for about 2 years already um, constant meetings, uh, leaders in our community that have come together and that have recognized that in each one of the sectors, whether it, whether it be medical or in the mental health field, we are seeing basically cross-contamination of all sorts of illnesses, not only the physical part, but the depression in the children and the youth, uh, increase in irritability, frustration, anger, assaults, I mean, you name it. And we've spoken to so many administrators that all coincide with the fact that rather than focusing on the educational aspect at school, it's a lot of behavioral issues that are going on. Yeah. And these are kids that are hurting, but they don't know how to voice that they're hurting. And it's our uh, it's our opportunity rather to be able to listen to the loudness in the midst of the silence. We have a local coalition of leadership addressing the issue of mental health in our kids post-pandemic. Our guest, Roxanne Ramirez, Executive Director of Hope Family Clinic. Yeah, and again, in announcing the post-pandemic initiative, Judge Cortez noted uh, clear evidence that COVID has sparked a mental health crisis among school kids. 
So what sort of training is required to help these kids? Will it require, um, I think he indicated or you indicated, it might require a new, more specialized type of treatment for this specific crisis? Absolutely. So our goal is to equip, and in this case, uh, it's 50 counselors from across the 17 school districts in Hidalgo County, um, in equipping them with skills and resources so that they can be able to assist whoever it is, students, parents, staff, administration, in a modality that does not necessarily require the length of time for individual therapy but rather it allows them to facilitate without them having to express verbally what they're feeling. And this modality, it's called EMDR. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Hmm. And it's rather large. Um, the, the acronym, you know, the word itself, it's rather large. However, the, the concept is to help the, the children through eye movement to desensitize the level of trauma or the triggers, and to bring them back down to a place where they're able to react to one incident rather than all of the incidences that the brain has connected. Wow. So that sounds, sounds complex, but... It, it, you know, it, it is, but it isn't. It is to, the, to us who are, who are learning about it, but to the brain, it's rather simple. And I think the beauty about this is that these are 50 individuals that go back to the schools and they're going to be able to impart this onto the youth and to the children that they're working with because we can do this with children as, as young as six years old. You know, children that grew up in isolation and they don't know how to be around people. Mm. And then with the youth that are so used to being in a state of isolation and now we put them all together and expect for them to coexist and cohabitate like if nothing ever happened mm-hmm. and that's that's surreal. No, and then they suffered loss too they yes. they lost family members and loved ones and special events in their life exactly. as a result of not doing the prom not doing the football game exactly. not doing everything the socializing uh, with their family our guest roxanne Damitas, executive director whole family health center in mccallan just one of many leaders called by our county judge to address the issue of mental health issues among our children post-pandemic. Go ahead, Mm -hmm. Tim. And Hope Family is providing this training? Hope Family Health Center is facilitating this training. Um, It's actually day two of this training today. Um, Hope Family Health Center, for those of you who are not familiar with, we've been in the community for 27 years. Uh, We are a nonprofit organization that takes pride in taking care of the uninsured in our community. We're completely donation-based. We provide both integrated medical counseling, peer support, case management, uh, diabetes prevention. It's a plethora of different services available for the uninsured in our community where they can come to us when everybody else has pretty much told them, you need to pay so much, and they come to us and they're like, you're our last hope. As a result of the extra work, all the counseling that you're doing, and again, the counseling, the training, is it for other professionals or is it for the parents and the kids that are facing this issue? For example, you said you, you had a second session that's scheduled for the the, the second um, uh-huh. <clears throat> training session for the counselors. For the counselors, themselves. okay. So mm-hmm. is there additional funding from the county to help out and provide for all the man hours involved in all this training over at, at Hope? Because I know you depend on... On not, donations, not necessarily. The this money is it's specifically invested for the counselors. Okay. Um, and and I want to be very clear about that because those of us that are in the mental health coalition, 
are there simply because our passion is our community. Mm -hmm. And my passion is to see a community that can not only hurt together, but heal together as well. And that's where we come in and bridge in that gap. How many school districts uh, do you have participating? Currently, we now? have 16 out of the 17. Almost, almost immediately. Uh, by the way, Roxanne Domitis with Hope Family Center. We're addressing mental health issues post-pandemic here in Hidalgo County. Almost immediately after the pandemic, I had frontline folks at DHR Health, uh, the mental health hospital, other friends of the station said, Serge, we got an issue. We got a big issue. So if you mm -hmm. could just ballpark figure, like peg it from depression to self-harm to violent you know, expressions, would you say it's twice as bad than it was pre-pandemic, three times as bad pre-pandemic, just ballpark figure. Are you able to explain um, what the metrics that some of the local leadership are looking at when it comes to the outburst and the call for help. By you know, I think that we are barely beginning to see the impact of it. Um, it takes two years to adjust to anything, you know, post. Um, and we are barely beginning After a to trauma, see, that's what they mm -hmm. say, about two years to about two years. overcome the trauma. The Well, the adjustment process to, okay. to begin to see the, the ramifications of it. It takes about two years for us to reach a place of, okay, this is what the new normal looks like. And unfortunately, you know, all of these students that have been um, through, through this hardship, many of them, you said they lost, a lot of them lost themselves because developmentally they're, they were in a state where their identity is based on their peers. Yeah. And if you don't have peers, you don't have an identity. So, we are beginning to see the ramifications, and unfortunately, what we are seeing, it, it's scary to look at what the future may hold for them if we don't do something proactively. I would imagine that at the school district level, they're probably under pressure, uh, trying to address this, to hire more counselors and more mental health experts and people that can help guide these children and parents and steer them in the, in the right direction. And I don't know if that's being raised at all up in Austin as far as funding for the, the counseling that's necessary. The good thing right now, I believe, is that we have um, such a surplus in the budget, and a lot of it is, um, you know, according to legislation, they're yeah. talking about mental health. Okay. So I'm thankful that we are talking about So it about is being addressed health. in Austin, it so is there might be addressed. something there for yes. the district. So, mm -hmm. well, uh, thank you for stopping by. Absolutely. Call us again as as we continue this journey. Absolutely. Trying to get everything back to normal. Roxanne Tamides, Executive Director, Hope Family Health Center in McAllen. Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Some leaders in local education would like the public to take a look at how South Texas ISD has been funded for so many years. Would like lawmakers to address this, maybe 
punt the issue back to local taxpayers who, if you check your tax bill, you'll notice you're paying for your school district, but also South Texas ISD. So let's recap this issue that is being brought forth by some leaders in education and where it might go up in Austin with Edinburgh CISD, Mike Farias, president of the board, and Dr. Mario Salinas. He's our superintendent for Edinburgh CISD. Mike, I'm going to start with you. I understand that was a sit-down conversation with other education leaders at a forum on this issue. Why are we looking at the way South Texas ISD, this magnet school, is being funded, has been funded for many years? And then tell me about the sit-down you guys had. Sure, Serge. A quick little history about South Texas ISD. Back in the 60s, uh, South Texas ISD was created to address the needs that were apparent because special ed population wasn't being served back in the 60s. So they went ahead and created South Texas ISD to facilitate the needs of that population. In the mid-80s, federal government came in and said, wait a minute, you can't just segregate these kids they have to go into the general population of the schools that they're zoned at. So they made the public schools, the ISDs, be responsible to take care of that population. So in the mid-80s, South Texas ISD was um, there in charge to take care of that special population. That's why, and that's the only reason why, they were receiving an additional nickel and charging the three counties, Cameron, Willisey, and Dago County, in order to help them serve that population. Well, that changed in the mid 80s. They lost that population and they transitioned from serving that special ed population to a magnet school on what they are currently today. But they continue receiving that additional nickel, which equates to over $30 million a year over the three counties, Hidalgo, Willisey, and Cameron. Now they're a magnet school, and they're still getting that additional nickel, which all of us in the three counties have to pay in one way or another, whether we own property or even if we rent, the owner of the property just passes down that expense over to the person renting. So we all pay one yeah. way or another. Yeah. So what is in discussion is, okay, you're no longer meeting those needs, but yet you're getting that additional nickel which equates to $5,000 more per year per kid compared to the other 28 school districts in the three counties. So they're getting an additional $5,000 per year per kid more than everybody else. And they're not providing anything special that we're not providing. So we're just asking, eliminate that nickel. Give us the opportunity to vote on the issue to eliminate that nickel. They'll still be in existence. They still will get the same funding that charter schools get. So there is no dismantling of anybody. It's just getting rid of that additional nickel, which is inequitable compared to everybody else yeah. and it, down here in South Texas. In, in essence, it's not an effort to redistribute that nickel's worth 30-some-odd million dollars among everybody else. It's just bring it more on par with, as you said as an example, the uh, charter and school. Sergio, and so it's a good point. That nickel will go back to the pocket of the individuals of the that reside in the three county. Yes, yeah, of the taxpayer. The taxpayer for yes, the three county. And, right. and, and we all know it's tough times. Every penny counts. Here we're talking about five pennies. Especially with inflation. My guest right now, Mike Farias, President, Edinburgh CISD. Dr. Mario Salinas, 
is a superintendent for Edinburgh CISD. I know you had a powwow with other education leaders in South Texas. How did that go? Dr. Mario Salinas joining us right now. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, we, we met in Harlingen. It was spearheaded by the executive director of South Texas Association of Schools. There were out of 2015 independent school district there. Uh, STISD was not there. We had a discussion as to how to address uh, legislators to help us with this effort to have more equity in funding between South Texas ISD and all the other independent school districts in the Valley. What uh, the President Farias did not mention is that the three county areas, the double taxation, were the only school districts, the only communities in the whole state of Texas, they get taxed twice for two independent school districts. The other item, Sergio, that, that needs to be said, South Texas ISD gets federal funding like we do, state funding like we do, and then they get this additional five pennies. And the concern I have, I know President Farias is very concerned trying to look out for the taxpayers that pay that additional nickel in an area that's very impoverished, as you well know, more so than the rest of the state. My concern is that a child that comes to our school district, we get funding to the tune of $7,400, more or less, per child. And the supermajority of our children are poor children, as you and I have discussed this many, many times, versus the child at South Texas ISD, generally wealthy. I'm not making it up. This is data from the state. Uh, they get $12,500 per child. And I think this is very inequitable. It's not fair. The legislators, they represent the vast majority of the people here in the Valley who are poor. And I just feel that they need to, to get behind okay. our public school district, which are 98% of the population. In Austin, as this is being addressed, I think one of the state lawmakers here in the area and others were probably spearheading an effort up in Austin to try specifically to do what? Put it on the ballot for the three-county area for voters to say, keep it as is, or let's do away with the extra funding that is no longer specifically applied for special ed. How might this evolve up in Austin in the legislature? Sure, Sergio. Um, um, Mike Fadi Sergio Munoz. Yeah. Yes, Sergio Munoz is the state rep that went ahead and created two bills to address this situation. I give all kudos, and I have a, a lot of respect for an individual to go and bring this to the table. Because you think about it, in reality, this is taxation without representation. Because we never had an opportunity to either vote for or against this nickel. Now, South Texas College, we had that opportunity. And we voted on it. And we agreed on it. This particular tax, we never voted on it. So one of the bills is stating, let's put it on the ballot. Let the people come out and vote whether they want to spend that extra nickel or mm -hmm. not. Yeah, continue to. Yes. Okay. Now, it will also go ahead and change the status of South Texas ISD to a charter school. Now, we all know there are charter schools down here, and they're very successful. Ideas doing very successful, Vanguard. being very successful. Vanguard is very successful and they're prosperous. They would get the same funding of those two existing charter schools down here. The only difference is South Texas ISD in their fund balance currently have $98 million. For 5,000 kids. For 5,000 kids. Now, I can guarantee you, the rest of the charters, I can guarantee you nobody has that in their fund balance down here. Per child, that's, now, yeah. That would, yeah, and yeah. especially when you divide it by 5,000 uh, children, 
that's what the bill that Sergio brought was give the taxpayers an opportunity to vote whether they want to spend that extra nickel or keep it in their pocket. Sure. That's Mike Farias, President, Edinburgh CISD. Dr. Mario Salinas, Superintendent, Edinburgh CISD, also my guest. In this conversation you had this week, Dr. Salinas, did you have other school districts lending support for this effort to try to give it a push and get the pass and put it on the ballot? I know McAllen ISD was there, Mission ISD was there from Pridal County. Several others were there, and they're supportive of this, and, and we're going to try to organize a united effort by the superintendents to go out to Austin to uh, persuade people that make those decisions to send this bill to debate. It's on committee now, on the Public Education Committee, and, and we want it to go to debate so that we, we can have a chance to go out there and speak okay. on behalf of our taxpayers and on behalf of the independent school district that we feel is in, not equitable. I know that the South Texas ISD leaders are saying that we're trying to extinguish the school. We're not. We're saying that we just want them to get the same funding that we do. And they say that if they get the same funding that we do, that they can't survive. I don't see how everybody else is. Vanguard is. Idea is every other independent school district in the whole state of Texas is surviving on more or less $7,000 of funding. I don't see how they can say that if we get $7,000 for a child that we, we cannot survive. I don't see that argument at all. Obviously, we'll be talking about this near future as the legislature turns forward. Thank you, Mike. Mike Farias. Thank you, Sergio. Yes, sir. Thank you, Sergio. That's uh, Thank you, sir. Mike Farias, president of the Edinburgh School District, the, the board, and Dr. Mario Salinas is the uh, superintendent for Edinburgh CISD. Thank you. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710 KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United crisp, clear audio, and access to previous programs from 710-KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Our assistant general manager in Cameron County Drainage District number 5, Rolando Vela, joining us on KURV. And up in Austin, working with leadership to try to improve drainage in our area, try to prevent some flooding in the future. Rolando, I appreciate your time with us today. Could you please take us to school and maybe explain real quick the role of the Texas Water Development Board when it comes to helping fund local cities with these, what what do you call them, artificial draining systems, drainage systems like we have here in South Texas because we're so flat and so close to the coast. Can, can you take us real quick to school on where the money comes from, comes from to help the cities? Okay, the Water Development Board. Good, uh, good morning, everybody. Morning, brother. Um, the water development the water development board provides funding uh, for drainage improvements in the form of loans and grants to communities throughout the state of Texas. How do they prioritize making that funding accessible to communities that need it most? 
obviously it's based on need and the ability of, of communities to be able to uh, have the applications ready. Uh, also, the money there, also the, their local match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they're applying for grants, uh, they may only qualify for so much money, so they have to provide a certain match. And if they're applying, and or loans, if they're applying for loans, uh, they have to be in a position where they're in a position where uh, they can actually pay off those loans. The reason I ask you about priority, look, we're flat and we're close to the coast, close to sea level down here. But you know what? So are, are folks up in Houston. That's a big metro area. And a lot of people carping and complaining, trying to get the attention of lawmakers and the Texas Water Development Board. So how is it that they assess true need and prioritize need? Or is it just first come, first serve? Or after first come, first serve, they take a waiting period and they figure out, okay, these people really, really need it the most because they're at higher risk for flooding. Well, the way they assess the need is they're working with the local regions. Uh, I believe we have 15 regions in the state. Uh, They're working uh, on a statewide uh, drainage study, and it's broken down into 15 regions. And they're getting that input from those studies on on what the needs are, what the drainage needs are throughout the city of Texas. Rolando Vela is our assistant general manager, Cameron County Drainage District Number 5. Yeah, Mr. Vela, Tim Sullivan here. In your search for funds to uh, pay for some drainage improvement uh, projects, uh, we know that Hidalgo County has proposed a couple of bond elections, a couple of which have passed, to raise funds for, for you know, big flood control and drainage improvement projects. Is that something Cameron County has done or is considering in your search for, like I say, in your search for funds to pay for some drainage improvement matters? I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not sure, but I can assure you, Tim, that uh, our leadership at the county level in Cameron County is doing everything. And they're working hard on on securing funding and working with the communities on ensuring that we're doing everything we can to make the necessary drainage improvements throughout the county. So, I mean, they're working hard. I mean, good leadership and they're working hard. But I'm not sure if they're doing what as far as bonds or whatever, I'm not sure if they're doing that. I can't speak for them in that regard. What type of projects do you think would work the best in drainage district number five to relieve uh, to relieve the problems? And if you could explain well, what I, are the problems and, and where are most of the problems uh, across drainage district number five? Are they neighborhoods, uh, rural areas, or, or both? I think to uh, to address your question, I think it's let's take a little step back and the fact the fact that you you know we all know the valley is the valley's flat and what we're trying to do is so what we're trying to bring up uh, to the state legislators through the legislation that's been filed is not only a drainage district situation or a challenge but it's a challenge along the coast 
and border areas, as well as the greater Houston area, in that we're, so, because we're flat, uh, in our opinion, there's a need to raise awareness to that idea that we're flat and that we lack those naturally uh, defined floodways that other regions have. Yeah. We're all unique and we're all beautiful, but the fact that we're flat, in our opinion, you know, we're asking that. And we're working with the state and our legislators to include language and, and the water bill on board that acknowledges artificial drainage system. This is these areas, these communities that are flat. And also that the whole idea that not only additional funding in the form of grants, but, you know, the possibility of forgiving loans. I mean, I was on the phone a few days ago with a county judge from Willoughby County, Peter mm-hmm. Guerra. He was saying, you know, we have se- we currently have seven loans for drainage improvements in Willoughby County, and we're maxed out. And I asked him, well, what do you mean by that, Judge? He said, um, in order for me to get additional funding, I have to increase the tax rate, and I'm not going to do that. I mean, so just imagine uh, if we can get some of these loans forgiven so these communities can reinvest uh and making further drainage improvements so what we talk about flat and i use this example and i think it's something that hits home for everybody if if you have a this culvert this pipe underneath the driveway in front of your house and and you decide to upgrade it to enlarge it to make it large larger in the hopes that well if i make this pipe underneath the driveway larger it's going to improve drainage in front of my house but you got to pay for Not it. Not necessarily. They have a limit. I'm sorry. You got to pay for it. Though. No, and there's it, pipe down the road too that you well, need to well, But not only yeah. that. But not only that, Tim. It'll have a limited benefit. However, the benefit will be much greater if your neighbors do the same thing. Yeah, there's oh. other pipe, other pipe down the road. And, right. and not only that, it'll be much greater if there's downstream improvements. So when the water's flowing, the stormwater's flowing, it's going somewhere. Yeah, I get you. Rolando, i got about a couple minutes left. I want to get real quick to some of the legislation being considered up there, what you're pushing for uh, to for Austin lawmakers to consider. Now, the scoring criteria for drainage improvements and some of these artificial drainage systems, when I hear the word artificial drainage systems, I'm hearing pumps because we need to push the water out of here somehow. It, is, is that correct? Well, when hopefully when we hear artificial drainage systems, we're thinking – uh, we lack naturally defined floodways. We're, we're which means flat, pumps, right? And but pumps part of the. So uh, we need we need downstream improvements. Okay. And so we need more funding for give loans, uh, and change our there's a criteria they use in low and moderate income. Change that uh, to the social index that takes into consideration other factors aside from low and moderate because when you're flat the fact of the matter is and when you're flat whether you're in a higher income or not when you're flat you're going to get flooded how well has your have your conversations been received i got about a minute left rolando up in up in austin because again well, as i mentioned I we're, we're battling houston and houston is a massive population center they, they might get priority b- before we do well, I think it's been well received. We're getting resolutions adopted. As a matter of fact, the county commissioners coordinating the other counties that considering it this morning, 
Harlingen, Brownsville, uh, San Benito. Uh, city commissions are are considering adopting this week. Next week, it'll be West Waco, Mission, Mercedes. Okay. And Wilson County. So, you know, we're, we're working with everybody. It's, it's a positive thing. Simply raising awareness to the challenges we have and working with the state and our legislators to come up with solutions. All right. Rolando, appreciate your time. He's the assistant GM, Cameron County Drainage District, number five, Rolando Vela. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Taking out my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. How much money should you have in savings at each age? Let's go by 10-year brackets, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so on. Ted Rossman with Bankrate.com and CreditCards.com. Thank you, Ted, for your time. Let's start with age 20, 20s. How much should be in savings during that period of your life? You're really just getting started at that point. The experts at Fidelity say that by your 30th birthday, you should aim to have about one time your salary in retirement savings. Hmm. That goes up to about three times your salary by 40, six times your salary by 50, and eight times your salary by 60. I would stress, though, that These are just guidelines. I mean, if you're behind, we don't want to get discouraged and give up. There's certainly still time to catch up. But these are some benchmarks that are out there. The core in this audience, late 30s and into early 50s. That's pretty much the core into their 50s. So at at that age, let's round it up to let's round it to 40 and 50. Let's say individuals are behind. So any suggestions on how they can catch up? I know there are limits on what you can you know, claim in your taxes. And some of these programs also put limits on how much you can put in there. So any suggestions of what they could do to catch up? I think really the best advice is slow and steady wins the race. You're not going to get there overnight. But basically, getting in that habit of saving and investing. A 401k is a great tool because it's tax advantaged. There's often an employer match. And it's systematic. Every paycheck, money gets automatically transferred into this dedicated retirement investment plan. That, I think, is really the key. Try to contribute at least enough to get the employer match because that's free money. And then maybe dial it up over time. So if you're contributing 5% now, maybe in six months, you can bump that up to 6 or 7%. Or maybe next year, you can bump it up even further or the next time you get a raise. I think the idea is really twofold. I mean, one is that habit of saving. And then I think the other one is out of sight, out of mind. You know, if you don't get your hands on the money, you're less likely to spend it. I think it's important to make that good decision once and then just automatically repeat it. How much money should you have in that retirement piggy bank? We're looking at different age brackets from bankrate.com and creditcards.com, Ted Rossman. So you're saying 
playing more scratch-off lotto tickets, that's not going to work right now to try to catch up. <laughs> that would not be an advisable <laughs> retirement plan. Yeah, we, we definitely want to you know get in that habit of saving and investing. I, I know it's easier said than done. By the way, when it comes to emergency savings, you can get 5% right now on a totally liquid, totally federally insured account. So, you know, that's another goal that, of course, there's a lot of hands in the wallet and I understand money can be tight and it's difficult to set money aside for these priorities, but it is really important. I mean, obviously, when it comes to retirement savings, the earlier the better. If you start saving in your 20s and you know, every dollar you invest might be worth 20, 30, even $40 by the time you retire. But like I said, if you're a little bit older, you're a little bit behind, it's certainly not time to give up. I mean, it, it still adds up over time. Uh, the stock market traditionally has gained about 10% a year on average. I know it hasn't been so hot the past mm-hmm. year or so, but yes. we don't want to time the market. We, okay. we want to systematically attack this. All right. Ted Rossman joining me with some financial advice. Ballpark figure, Ted, I suspect this is something that probably rolls in your head. How many Americans, working Americans, are actually saving for the future? Is it half? Is it one-third? Is it hopefully more than that? Because I have a bad feeling that we got way, way too many folks that are deep in debt and have no emergency savings, and they're hoping on Social Security to be there in the future to give them something every month. I believe it's about three quarters of Americans are participating in a workplace retirement plan. These are really important tools because of the tax advantages and because of the automation. A friend of mine mentioned this to me, reminded me of this. Great idea. You could suck away a little bit of money for your kids on a regular basis. By the time they're 18, they could have a substantial size savings account. If you continue providing the same amount, it's like... 100 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, something like that. By the time they're well into their 30s, they could have hundreds of thousands of dollars in capital waiting for them to invest in something. What would be the best way to, to sock away some money for the kids long term as soon as they show up when they're born? Yeah, you're right. Albert Einstein is credited with saying that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Basically, this idea that even a little bit of money set aside early if it's growing 10% a year, and it's doubling every seven years, that can be powerful over time. Of course, you have workplace retirement plans, you have 529 plans, which are tax-advantaged college savings plans. If you want really open-ended investment opportunities, something like a brokerage account is a good idea because there aren't any restrictions on when you can access that money. Um, but I, I think that habit of starting early and often, you know, whether you talk about it as slow and steady wins the race or pay yourself first or the millionaire next door. I mean, there are some real success stories, but it really starts with that habit of saving and investing early and often. Seth, thank you for your time, brother. Ted Rossman with Bankrate.com. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. Hey, 
as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.